right, welcome back, everybody. I'm Matt Rosenthal, and you're watching Digging In. The show is about digging into what it takes to be successful in business, in life, and in health. You're going to hear powerful stories on today's show, and I hope you can use some of this information to reach your own potential. I truly hope today's show inspires you. I hope it educates you. That's why we do it. Today's show is going to be about fear and how to push through and how to take action. It's something everybody experiences. I think everybody can relate to. And so joining me on today's show is uh, Richard, Rick Ross. He has an interesting story, but to start off, he's a self-made um, inspirational gentleman who's got such a wide, diverse background that uh, I have to read it to you because he has, he's, he's done so much in, uh, in his time. So let me just take you guys through this. Rick is a coach. He's an executive mentor. He's a psychotherapist and an executive leader. He's held C-level leadership positions with private, public, and not-for-profit technology, manufacturing, and service organizations. His career spans 35 years in corporations such as uh, Exxon, Philips, DRF Technologies, which he's going to talk about, and positions ranging from sales to business development to president to CEO. This is interesting as well. Domestically and internationally, he started organizations through joint ventures, mergers, acquisitions, integrations, and ultimately cultural transformations. This global exposure has guided his professional skills and enhanced his insight on diversity and workplace. And lastly, and maybe most importantly, in addition to providing performance in coaching and mentoring, he has over 22 years practicing corporate and family therapy dealing with leadership, conflict, critical relationships from the boardroom to the family, He's a keynote motivational speaker who can facilitate senior level workshops and leadership retreats. And let's see, he also serves on committees and corporate advisory boards in support of the Defense Department and Homeland Security. And that's it for this. It's too much here, Rick. So let's th thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Matt. I, I couldn't think of a, a, better, a better, more qualified person to talk about. So with the people that we're speaking to, most likely that are listening to this, they're, they could be business leaders. They could be people who are maybe just on a treadmill, you know, in life and they're trying to figure out where to go next or, or um, they could be having family issues or relationship. It doesn't matter, but everybody faces fears. Everybody has fears and, and you know, we don't know exactly where they come from, but you do and you're going to talk to us about it. And, uh, and we, we just want to really get, get some uh, information out there that people can at least grasp onto help them understand where the fears might come from and how it impacts them when they're in leadership or management positions or at home. How's that sound? Sounds great. Sounds good? Sure. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. I listened to it. I didn't realize I had done so much. And um, just to be the usual humble person that I am, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, the, I think what you're talking about, Matt, is a good point. I think fear and adversity is what we wake up from the moment we're born faced with, and we are trying constantly to overcome some perceived or real issue or fear. Um, I grew up in a time where my mom was very sick. I was uh, three years old and she had already had two surgeries. And by the time I was six, she had probably three more. Um, and these were not the days of uh, the endoscopic surgery. It was almost like they're operating with an ax in those years because it was very different times. So the operation itself could kill you, let alone the disease. Um, I was a kid who would come home from school like every other kid, except I would come in to see if my mother was alive. 
and my and, and listen to my father would say to me, not today, but you go do what you have to do. And I always thought that that taught me something. I always thought that you go do what you have to do is is something that has kept me going to this very day. I have found myself um, uh, the, the keynote to anything I've ever done is tenacity, commitment, compassion, honor, these, these notions that you must achieve, you must go forward, no matter what's happening. And I think too many people sit around looking for excuses and, and feel good when they can justify it. It's much harder to say, I have no excuses and I have to succeed. Yeah. The excuses is a really um, important topic, but wait, you said you were, so you were six years old. You're, so you're, these things that you're describing that you have within in you are things that you're saying go back to the experiences of being six years old. And, and I mean, how did these things materialize in your thinking that you just, that you just referred to? You have a tendency to overcome um, without realizing you're even overcoming. Like adapting. I, I was once in therapy years and years ago. Uh, I think it was like 1998. And I was telling a story to the therapist. And my father had an army knife in his uh, night table. I was never allowed to touch it uh, unless I was with him. And I was four years old. And I walked in the room. And my mother was laying there in the bed. And I walked over. And I put my finger under her nose to see if she was breathing. And, and then I went and I took the knife out. And I looked at it. And my mother woke up and yelled at me. And the therapist started crying. And I said, what's so, what's wrong? She said, you think it's normal to check to see if your mother's alive. You said it like you were talking about, I went and flipped the light switch on. How do you live thinking that your mother's gonna die at four years old? And she started crying. She said, I have a four-year-old. I couldn't imagine what he felt like. I didn't feel a thing. <laughs> I just, I, I mean, really, I, I, really, I, I just, cause I was just so used to overcoming. I've had a life of overcoming everything that's come my way. And, you know, there have been times, don't get me wrong. I, you know, I've been staring down the, uh, the proverbial whiskey glass, but I, but you overcome. That's what it's all about. That's really, it's, it's, you get psyched to overcome. There is no formula. You just have to reach inside yourself and get up and go every time. And that's what I learned from those days. And I, I started working when I was nine. I it was like the neighborhood everything. I was the neighborhood uh, uh, snow shoveling kid and I would cut lawns and they would give me a dollar to cut the lawn, but they were scared to death. I'd lose my feet. And, but, but I had good people skills. So I kept them in the game and I kept making a, a good living when I was working as a kid. So I just, I just was surrounded by inspiration and lived a life of inspiration. You know, it's interesting when you talk about working as a kid, Everybody that I've, I've had on the show so far, and I suspect that it's going to be this way with everybody that comes on in the future. You just touched on, on shoveling and doing things as a kid, nine, 10 years old. It seems like it's a common denominator that there's um, maybe the, the seeds of, of entrepreneurship. They, they exist at these young ages. And I've also seen <clears throat> heard a commonality where there's always some sort of, um, you can correct me because I'm probably using the wrong word dysfunction or trauma or something that, that happens in so many people that I've met who, in their early lives who end up being successful. Um, it could be in business, but whatever field they're in, they, they drive hard. Like they, they keep pushing themselves and pushing themselves. And it's not even like they can explain why, but they all have this, they all shovel snow at nine years old. 
Right, I understand that, and you know, and, and I always cared very much about the customer experience. That I put, uh, I guess you could talk about it if you want to talk about it in clinical terms. It was a thing like post-traumatic growth. I took all the pain that I learned and the trauma that I learned, and tried to overcome it by giving back. That was my thing, and it was never disingenuous. I worked at Baskin Robbins when I was fourteen, and I remember this to this day. I, I, somebody would ask for an orange sherbet on a sugar cone. And I would say, have you ever thought of putting a vanilla ice cream on top of that? It tastes just like a creamsicle and it's your design. And I would be so happy. I would be thrilled when those people would take it. They'd love it. And I wasn't thinking about the, the, the price of the cone going up. I wasn't thinking about my boss liking me for selling more. I really wanted to service the client. And I found that my way of dealing with trauma was giving back. Look what I do for a living. Yeah, yeah. And that's a lot. That's a big way to get through fear, by the way. You can't fight fear. You have to embrace it. You have to use it. And, and it's, it's all about overcoming. And, you know, you're right. Every successful person I know, um, they don't even know sometimes that they overcame. They just did it. That's interesting. They just push through. So that's the thing. What is it about that? There's these people we probably both can think of dozens of people we know that they're there's they have all sorts of i guess problems right but somehow or another they're able to keep climbing the ladder keep pushing and pushing and pushing even though there's this function or there's there's issues early on or even in their lives currently there's something that pushes them along well you know also when you're dealing with people if as you become a little bit more successful and if you're a successful person that doesn't take yourself too seriously you tend to see things in the right way. And you start to realize that as I'm talking to you, I know you have screwed up something. I know it. For me? Everyone. You're Never. A man. Right. And <laughs> the truth of the matter is I have. And when I'm talking to people, I don't fear them anymore because they're really just like me. What's the expression? Everybody wakes up in the morning and you both, you, you put on your pants the same way, one leg at a time. I have a good story that could tell you what people are really like and you wouldn't expect it at all if you're if you're if you want to be in these circles you think you have to be a certain person i was leading a group and i was probably 38 years old to egypt to meet with the ministry of defense i had state department people i had other prime contractors and i was the ultimate prime and i was the president of the company at the time and I had to be the leader and kind of host this meeting. Now, it is not like being in a U.S. office where there's, you know, every amenity known to mankind and you just, you know, everything's prim and proper. I was looking at people, you know, they had rips in their shirts, the, the stocks on their rifles had gouges in them. And I, I, I was sick the night before this meeting in Cairo. And I mean sick. Now, I'm sitting in the meeting in like theater seats and... There is a general sitting up front looking just like the stereotypical situation you would expect in Cairo. And on each side, guys with rifles standing there like that. True story. All of a sudden, my stomach starts to go, go bad. And I, I'm thinking, my God, I'm with State Department people. I, these are people that are so successful. I, what do I do? And I started thinking, I have nothing I can do. So I asked their, their bathroom and they started talking to each other in Arabic. And I I, they pointed that way. I open up this cheesecloth door, thinking I'm going down a hallway. Yeah. Literally, the commode was right on the other side 
of the cheesecloth door. <laughs> and so I sit down and I happen to be in this room and I'm so embarrassed. And it's like, I'm leading this. This is going to get back to people at State Department in the United States of America. It's going to get back to my board of directors. And I'm sitting there and I am exploding. And it's like, Lordy, 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 I was dying. I come out of there, my hair is soaking wet. <laughs> my shirt is all twisted up. I go sit down, Not nobody's saying a word. They had served me this yogurt, and I think that's what did it. I uh, set you off. And, and I, so I'm sitting there, back in my chair, and I know that I'm looking like my eyes are rolling in my head, nothing like, and the room was very uncomfortable. And all of a sudden, the general says something to the man with the rifle like this, and he comes back and he gives me another yogurt. And then they all started laughing, you know, <laughs> making fun. And I realized there and then the most important part, these are people who are fighting with Israel. They're not sure if they trust us. They're not sure if they trust the rest of their Arab neighbors. But yet they're so human, so real. They got it completely. They brought me a towel. They did all these nice things. And everybody was real. And I ended up making a tremendous sale, one of the largest sales of that equipment, which I can't mention now. And I found out that people are just all so real. And I was very young when I realized that. And I kind of knew it all along, but I, 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 I think that solidified it for me. You know, you're, you're actually, I'm thinking of some, that's a great story. There's, I, mean, I know you have more of those. They're, uh, they're pretty cool stories. But when you, you said you were 38 years old around that time, right? And you had a, you had a high position, you achieved a lot. Um, I did. We know you came from uh, a beginning that um, you had some some challenges. You had obstacles. You had these the things you mentioned, and uh, we know you shoveled snow, right? So, but you get somehow you find yourself reaching this point, and it sounds like it was because of your your ability to um, work to talk with people and to connect with people. I'm guessing that's in large part helped you get to that level, right? To lead people, to manage, to to bring people together. Uh, people want to follow you, right? Because they have confidence and, tr and trust in you. Now you're 38. That's awfully young to be in such a high, high-powered leadership position. Did you find that your ego would, would was getting not intentionally, but that all of a sudden you were kind of like, "Hey, look who I am," and was it getting in your way? I think one of the looking uh, back, actually, looking back. I, I know, and it's actually something I've thought about tremendously. This that's this question. Because at a very young age, I did very, very well. I mean, I was 26 years old and I made close to $200,000. Not that money matters. And that was in 1926. That was 1926. <laughs> you know, so, no, that was that was uh, 40 years ago. Yeah. Do the math. That's that's like a million dollars. And it was selling a technology. A lot. It, it, was, it was selling technology, like businesses like yours. Um, and I early on had success and I realized it had nothing to do with anything. I just never thought. I so when you ask me, did I did it get to me? And from an ego standpoint, did I feel? No, actually, I have a wonderful story about it. That that, that we had done the largest acquisition and um, I say the most significant acquisition of. I'm just thinking if I could be saying some of this stuff of um, electro optics. One of the things I did in my career is there's in, in electro optics in military. There's the BMW and Mercedes is DRS Technologies and um, Hughes. I ran 
one of them. You could decide which is which. I built one through acquisitions and what have you. And on the final acquisition piece, I was with the CEO on a G5 coming back from Boston, Logan Airport to land. I think we're going to Teterboro. And he's sitting there. We're at 55,000 feet. It's really quiet because you don't hear anything at that, that altitude. And he's sitting there with his crystal glass and his Armani shirts and suits and everything's lined up perfectly. The stripes are perfect, everything. And I'm, I'm looking good and feeling good. And I was about 40 at this point. And um, he could hear the clink, clink, clink of the ice in his glass. And he said to me, you know, you're confused. I said, why is that? He says, I knew who, I know who I am. And this is me. As he talks about the G5 and everything. That That's goes interesting. And I looked at him and I said, you know, you're half right. He said, how's that? I said, I'm confused. That's true. But I'm confused why I'm here with you. You said that to him. Yes, I did. And we laughed, but that was pretty much uh, telling me what I wanted to do something different. I, I, I wasn't, I didn't take it that seriously. I've held positions. I, you know, I, I find when I was a leader and I was out front, it was great calling the shots and doing everything else. But what I really loved is inspiring, motivating the people that get it done. You know, you have 2000 people working for you. You cannot do it all. You can only build a culture that supports success. You can't do anything else, really. You can buy companies and bolt-ons and things like that. And I love what I do now. I don't need to be the one that is going home with um, a couple to make their marriage work. I love that I can get off the phone and I know I made their life better. I don't need that ego reward anymore. And it stopped about the age of 37. So no, the, the money made a difference to me though. <laughs> that did it. But it, uh, it's, it there's, there's no shame. You, I feel like we're in this culture now, but well, there's one thing I noted down. I want to go back to that you said, but I feel like we're in this culture now where it's like, you should almost, if you're doing really well, this isn't about COVID. This is recently in, in past several years. Like there's something like if you're, if you're doing really well, if you're, if you're successful financially, that it's almost like you shouldn't, talk about it so much because you don't want to make other people feel bad. Um, and I've experienced that around just around people that, that, that just sort of like, Oh, down, downplay it, downplay it, or don't drive the nice car to, to a sales meeting or whatever. But the thing is everybody's striving to reach their potential and there's really no shame. In fact, everybody should have as much abundance as, as really they can get because first of all, it allows you to help other people. Second of all, you know, it, it does, allow you to live a healthier life and to have, um, you know, more options, right? So there's no shame in, in being successful and, and having more resources. And, um, and I think the, the, the most, I just never let it run me, but to me, the most significant piece about having some resources, uh, I had a, 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 a very difficult time in the hospital um, about four years ago, and I was pretty much toast and gone and all I kept thinking is how nice it was that I could put my family up in a hotel about a half a mile from the hospital so they didn't have to do that two hour back and forth parking and all that nonsense every day to manage their own grief and difficulty and I was thinking this I, this is really all I ever worked for was to make sure that kind of thing it wasn't the fancy cars and I you know I've been able to you know, have some of that stuff and that was never what it was about for me but it was about freedom of maneuver that's really what freedom yeah about freedom that's actually a really important point it really is and I, I think that 
if we, we if we go back to you at 38, you know, I'm 48, so I go back 10 years to being 38. I don't know that I could look back at that time and say this is about freedom. At that time, it was about build it, get the abundance, because uh, the wisdom wasn't there at that point yet to realize it's not about that. Um, it is about freedom, but it's not about what you think it is when you're 38 or 30 or 28, which is I just want to get as much as I can. And to your point about the guy on the plane, when you were talking, I made a note that he was so connected to the material as his identity. What happens when that inevitably disappears because he loses the job or uh, the business goes out of business? Then what happens to that identity when you don't have the G5 anymore? If this is me, you know, which goes back to what you're saying. It's like, what really is it that you ident that one identifies with or should identify with, especially in your experience, to have a fulfilling life in general, no matter what money you have or what you're doing. You know, I'm really glad we did this today because I, I think about these things often, but never in such a consolidated time. And I'll tell you something about that identity issue. And it's a story that I will never forget. I left that job and it was a political ousting. Um, I don't mind saying, you know, you, when you're at a certain level in a company, the politics do you in, it's not your numbers and your failures or successes. It was, I, I went crosswise after saying, I don't know why I'm here with you. It didn't like, I knew what I was doing. It didn't ingratiate my career there. But I came home the day that I did, the determination took place and my daughter was 15 and she's a tall girl and she was almost nose to nose, a little less nose to nose with me. And she was so sad. She has a heart of gold. And I, and she's like, I'm so sad, dad. And I said, Jess, don't worry. It, you know, we, you know, I don't want to say that we, we have money. I don't want to sound like that to my daughter. I said, but we're, we're okay. Everything we're going to go see grandma in Florida. We're going to go on vacations. We're still going to Israel. Like I said, and you don't have to worry. She said, dad, it's not the money. I just know how much you cared about all those people. No kidding. No kidding. I knew there and then, I got the chills when I told that story. I knew there and then I'm one of the most successful men that has ever lived. And um, she, by the way, right now is a superstar in corporate America and people love her. And it's if she's standing on my shoulders, I mean, launched way beyond me. And so that gives me great comfort. But that's the truth. That's an absolute true story. So that's how I feel about the money and the identity. I believe you lead with love. I believe you, and not that's never to be confused with what some people call the pussification of America. You, you lead with love. You care about the people you work with. You care that's about- a Great word, I've never heard that. You care about the client and their experience. And even if they don't know how to be people of, of kindness and caring, you don't have to, you don't have to become them. It, That's right. If you can always stay cool, stay calm, stay good. I used to have on my Outlook uh, file until I crashed because it, I, I like put in an appointment and if you don't end it at a certain date, you end up crashing your Outlook. But what it's be good, be kind, be happy. I showed up every morning on my calendar from the time I had Outlook in the early 90s. And I think it's the secret to every bit of success. Say it you know, again. What's that? Say it again. Be, be good. Be kind. Be happy. I, be I good, think. Be kind. Be happy. And just, yeah, I, I think those things. It. I, I was doing a keynote once, and it was to a sales organization, and I was trying to be funny about something, and it really woke me up. And I, I, I stood up, and I was in the front tables with the heavy hitters, you know, and then the, the back of the list. That's how it's set up, and maybe thousand people in total. 
And I said, you know, selling is all about sincerity. And once you can fake that, you got it made. <laughs> I thought that was so obviously funny. It is People, funny. Front tables were going, he's right. He's right. And I'm thinking, took it. That, that was, was the biggest joke. lesson out of the day. <laughs> I was like, that was a joke. And I even said that. I, I go back and correct it. And I, you know, I said, it is about sincerity. If, if you look at your own life as a brand, what brand do you want to have? You want to be the guy that sold in junk? You want to be, or you want to be this guy that cons somebody? Who do you want to be? There's actually nothing I want bad enough to go against that particular way of being. Nothing. Wait, I have to stop you there because that's a great transition into what's on my mind next, which is as, as we evolve, right? And so there's people that are watching this that are in their 20s or 30s or 40s and they're, they're, they're trying to figure out something and we still want to make sure we, we cover the topic of, of fear weaved into all of this, right? It's, so they're, they're trying to, to find their way. They're trying to figure it out. Somewhere along the way, you're making enough mistakes, <clears throat> you fall on your face enough, or you get enough feedback from everybody around you, and you start to realize, all right, I need to develop some mindfulness here. I need to get some awareness. Like I need to change. There's, there's change and transformation. And it sounds like through all the different things that you've, you've experienced, that you've had multiple periods of change and transformation. Mm-hmm. But that must, those, when people are going through that, which everybody goes through, sometimes it's intentional because you want to evolve. And sometimes it's not, in, sometimes it's just necessary for whatever reason. That is something that I think probably most people are afraid to do because they have to face the fact that they're, that they have to change. So you're talking about the fear of change. And I, I think people get- the need to change and then the fear of doing it and how that actually stops you from doing what you just said actually having that fulfillment and happiness and peace in life. You know, it's interesting. If you are down in the noise, change is much harder. If you're at the what most, I'll explain it to you. I was on a flight to Zurich and they had this big down comforter. I was in the quiet section. I wanted to sleep that night. And I am a fearful flyer. I'm now 43, 44 years old. And I am a fearful flyer. And, but I fell asleep. You know, it was like a, a, a routine trip that I was taking. And all of a sudden, middle of the night, I have the seatbelt outside the blanket. So they want to know your seatbelt it in. I, the plane jumped around and my feet and knees almost hit me in the jaw. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I was, oh my God. And I remember sitting up saying, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. And then I, I said, what am I going to do? What are you going to do? And, I, and you know, I, I just said, I'll go back to sleep. And yeah. there's a moment in time where I realized fear exists. Deal with it. It wasn't, there isn't much more of a mechanic. It, it exists. I've had, in the last four years, I've had seven major surgeries. You deal with it. it you can't change it. There's nothing you can do to change it. You can only change your reaction to it. That's what I was hoping you were going to say. That's, what, that's, that, that's it, right? That's uh. What is the, there's the saying that you can only, only, only one thing you can, you have actual control over. You have no control over anything really other than your thoughts. You're actually talking about, I believe you're referring to Viktor Frankl, who's well known for this. He's a psychiatrist that was in the Holocaust mm-hmm. and he had written a great book, Man's Search for Meaning. And in that book, he talks about an interview. Uh, he was interviewed, I'm sorry. He was interviewed by, I think it was Barbara Walters or someone like that. And she said, you know, you suffered so much. How did you write this book? He wrote it in the camps. He said, you you saw the death of family and friends and you were tortured and you saw so much 
in the way of people being maimed and indignities. And his answer was, in short, I'm paraphrasing, that with all I saw, with all that was done to me and everything I experienced, the one thing they couldn't take away from me was how I chose to face each and every day. Well, that, yeah, that's right. That's what I'm referring to. That that's that's the same thing. That that's what I mean. Yeah, that, and you you have control over that, right? That's the only thing you really have control over, I guess. I guess unless you truly don't have control over that, which would be more of like a clinical problem. Right? No, there are people with psychosis that can't manage that. Yes. Yeah. That's, but if, you, if that's the very, it's two percent of the yeah. population. So the rest of it, it's habit. People have, you know, a lot of people, they just have never experienced overcoming. That's it. We, I think now we're hitting it. So again, we're talking to people possibly right now who are in business, who are having whatever issue that, that they want to re- achieve their goals. They want to reach their potential, but there's some fear stopping them from executing. And maybe the fear in, is what you just said. It's just the habitual thinking about whatever it may be that maybe re- there is no fear. Like it's, it's not even real. It's, it's, it's just a habit. It's a habit of a, maybe it's just a, a programming. It's just some programming you've got and we use the word fear, but whatever it is, stopping you from reaching your potential um, in, and it could be corporate America. Maybe you want to get to the next, next couple of levels, or maybe you want to, uh, as an entrepreneur, grow your business. Maybe you're afraid to invest in it. You're afraid to, to uh, go on camera and do podcasts. You're afraid to do marketing and sales. It's, it's, all, it's all fear, right? So it plays into all these things, but I think you just actually touched on what it really comes down to. It's just the way you look at it. I would tell your viewers to just do the next right thing, always. And the fear is imaginary. It, it, really, when you think about it, what, what is the fear? I was told from uh, the, a recent experience that the only reason I'm alive is because while everyone around me was in a state of panic, including the doctors, and this is a world-class doctor who said this, he said, you still have a sense of humor. He said, we believe that's why you're alive. Honestly, and I kind really? I believe you can make a difference how you face the world. I've, you know, I, I have this line that I, I use in my own head, and sometimes I've shared it with friends, that I've been left on the beach to die many times, only to come right back. And I, I look at Israel. I mean, everyone thinks, what a tough army. It's not that they're, they have a very good army and a great military. It's that their backs are to the med. Where are they going to go? They have no choice. There's no, they don't sit around and go, I'm too afraid to fight. They're not going into the med. It's that simple. They just go. And, and I, th- I think that's what a lot of people have to do. And I, I think leadership can help, though. I think that standing up and saying to people, I remember I had a situation in, in the early 90s that we were struggling a little bit as a company. But I remember telling everybody that it was a company on Long Island at the time, and they were doing layoffs like there was no tomorrow. It was after the fall of the Berlin Wall and we, the Cold War we thought was over. So people were scaling back, budgets were going down, and, and people were getting scared. But the truth of the matter was, in my company, it was a lot better than it was outside the company in, in, in their neighborhoods and people they knew. And I, I, I explained that I thought they were carrying the fears of others into their own job and there was no need to. Oh, interesting. interesting. That really is the truth. I mean, the COVID period, we're going through so much in isolation. I'm busier than I've ever been. Not that I'm happy that, you know, and I'm not looking to rob graves to make money, but I, I, 
I'm busier than I've ever been. Any A lot of service businesses are busier than they've ever been. And they've actually cut back on office space. They've cut back on taking their staff and clients out to dinner and saving all that money. It's affecting the bottom line. Good times or bad times, people will survive and make money. It's true. It's like, it's always the best of times, the worst of times. But it's funny because now there are people that you can talk to, to 10 people and all 10 of them are going to have a different perspective on how, how uh, being quarantined and, and COVID and, and different news channels you watch. I, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's like, it's, it's constant with this recording that's constantly playing like a broken record. Uh, and there are some people that are, are so scared and they're almost so paralyzed. And then there's like all these different magnitudes of, of how much they're willing to live their lives or not live their lives now, ranging all the way to people who are just like, okay, I'll wear my mask, but I'm not changing my life. I'm not going to stop traveling. And it, it, to your point, it, it is a perspective on, on how much you're going to live in fear right now. It's, it's a choice how fearful you want to be while still living your life amongst all the um, consistently changing information. And um, it's very confusing times. And Frank lived above a house in Holland in an attic for two years. Talking to no one, not making a sound. People do what they have to do. I'm not suggesting that you should make things be the same again. And, you know, just if you, you, you want to ignore science and travel when you're not supposed to travel or where you're not supposed I believe I'll be okay. That's just lunacy. But I think being able to deal with the fact, I'll figure it out. I'll have... Um, drinks with and cocktails with friends over zoom and we'll listen to music in the background and we'll talk you know like we used to talk at a bar the virtual happy hours now are uh yeah the thing to do i i do believe that there's a new norm that's coming about look we had world war ii we had world war one we had korea we we dropped the bombs on hiroshima and nagasaki uh my God, the world went through stuff they never thought it would be. The last time we experienced something like this, though, was uh, in 1918, I think, the, the Spanish flu. Yeah. And there will be changes. What I'm suggesting is get excited. You're not going to stop the changes from taking place. Join it, adapt, survive, thrive. And I, I think that's what a lot of people are doing. I have a client who makes his living selling PPE. He was starving for years. He's That's now what? Uh, PPE, the the protective equipment for doctors. Oh, oh, PPE. Yeah, yeah. That's Personal right. protective equipment. Right. Um, we had a question. This, for kids that are between the ages of say sixteen and twenty-five, maybe younger, this is going to be like the World War II generation. They're going to have to start thinking about people other than themselves. They're going to have to think of future generations. They're going to have to look to That's build a real shift. It is a real shift. It's, a, it's seriously a real shift because they're all. This generation is is um is so focused on on themselves on social media. I mean, it's like is it hyper focus? Is that the word? I mean, it's it's like it's it's and God forbid somebody puts something on social media bad about you. It's like you're you're it's earth shattering. Um, this could be an interesting reset where people do become more focused again on each other rather than themselves. That's a very good point. I, I, it didn't occur to me. I absolutely predict. I think there's hope in this. I, I, I think this is the, um, the, the pony. Yeah. I have a question for you. How many, at this point, it's just a guess. How many 
patients have you do you think you've seen since you've been in, in practice? I don't know the number of patients. I only know the hours because my accountant tells me every year. That was my next question. How many hours? 38,000 uh, as of the end of uh, September. So of last September. 38,000 hours. And a lot of that because of your the way you bridge your business knowledge and success with the psychotherapy. I know that you deal with a lot of business leaders and, and um, business partners and, and um, coaching of teams. How are you, if you had to categorize how they're all kind of getting through COVID, how are they as leaders actually continuing to lead their companies while they themselves as individuals are still trying to cope as a human being, while they still have to lead people through such a hard time? Do you know what I'm asking? Yeah, I think I do. Um, it, you know, it's like when, you, when you're at war, how do the colonels and lieutenants and generals, how do they keep themselves together while they're leading other people falling apart and they're falling apart too? Uh, you're a good example too, because you have to hear everybody all day, every day and still go home and keep yourself together. It's the same example. I would tell you, this is the hardest time I've ever experienced that. And I have so much experience at managing through that, what you're talking about. So it's a real issue. It's a very good question. What I do find is talk therapy is helping a lot of these leaders. Just a place to vent and talk and have a few laughs. And, uh, and I, in my case, you ask about my particular practice, I can talk to people and it's unlike most uh, social workers or therapists, they, they don't have the time in the boardroom that I have. So like when I'm speaking with Citibank, Cisco, Citrix, uh, JP Morgan, and I'm talking to the executives and the next day they're on Zoom meetings, which used to be in person in London or Hong Kong. And now they have to lead their teams and try to inspire them without breaking bread. We can laugh together and I can help them come up with some ideas. Because frankly, before COVID, about 35, 40% of my practice um, was video anyway. So I, I learned how to relate on video. If I can add something, this is a perfect example when I said the ego earlier, and I'm happy to help. My leadership style was never one of, you do it my way, you do this, you do that. It really was the therapist. As a matter of fact, they used to joke and say the doctor is in when I was in my office, because I always looked for the best in people. I always looked for finding ways to help them overcome whatever is just keeping them from doing the job, keeping them from being happy at home. People say things like, um, I'm a different person at home than I am here. And that's just not true. They think they are. They just get away with it at home much more. And it yeah. shows in the office differently. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think we all have to kind of facilitate each other's health. And that's, that's what I'm seeing during these times. I, I mean, there's nothing better than I'll just check in on a client and say, hey, how was that meeting? Oh, I'm glad you asked. It much better than you were right. It's much better than I thought it was going to be. And, and just having a place to talk to people and vent a little bit more because we don't have that water cooler experience any longer. Very people really need to actually, they need to be aware enough to think that they need to do that because it's very easy right now to stay um, isolated. I mean, I easily stay isolated. I think it's going overboard. I think people are afraid. I was just talking to somebody about this this morning, actually. People are afraid to get back in the game, not just because of COVID, but because they've gotten used to and habitualized a new way of being that, you know, they're, they're, they don't have to get dressed from the waist down. 
because they can sit like this. <laughs> they, they, they don't have to, you know, uh, be looked at all the time. They, they, they don't have to interact when they don't want to. They flip a switch and it's over. It's very different. And people are actually becoming afraid to socialize, including in their personal lives. They used to hang out with friends and go to weddings and bar mitzvahs and this, that, and the other. They don't want to go. Nobody wants to do anything. Why, why, why is that, though? I think it's so easy to develop a habit. A habit of what? Isolation. And not having to use those skills. Because we're all, that's the fear. You know, it's this interesting, uh, you know, coming back to where we started. Yeah. That is a fear of having to meet somebody, be found out. I think people walk around fearful and they've learned to overcome it anyway in social circumstances, professional circumstances. And they had ways, defense mechanisms or what we call ego capacities put in place to defend themselves. They haven't used those muscles in a long time. So therefore, so as a result, people, are you, I mean, are you seeing, you're seeing a lot of people, you spend a lot of hours um, and this is like possibly the worst of times for people uh, coping wise and emotionally mm-hmm. as a society. Are you, are you, are you hearing people talk about that? Well, talk about in general, that they're apprehensive about going back to work in person, not because of COVID, because of, of the fear sure. of having to be there. I've, I've had that conversation with what I think are some enlightened people. I'm not really ha- steering conversations there yet, but I see it percolating more and more. They're getting maybe anxiety about the fact that, oh, I have to go back to work in June or July. We're all going to be in the office together again. Or, uh-oh, I have to have a big Thanksgiving at my house and I'm going to see people. Oh, I have to get all ready to do that. I'm not ready to do that. So what does that really mean that everybody's walking around with a fake faith on all, all, all the time? And the real state of, of, of nature is like to be isolated, which is not true. I think it's been a long time since we've had comfort socially in this country. It didn't start with COVID. This, oh, this no. was in the making, just like uh, you know some of the, uh, the stuff that happened during the last presidency. It wasn't the last president. That stuff was, has been there. Maybe it got fermented while, while he was there. But there's a lot of stuff that's going on and people have lost their way with closeness. You know, and, and it's always been my journey is to keep people together. I, if you know anything about my background other than what you have, all I've ever done is to try to tap into the human spirit because I think it works. I did it as a parent. I did it as a, I do it as a husband. I do it as a friend. I do it as a therapist. I've done it as a corporate leader and it's worked in every one of those venues. So is it, is it, I think I've heard you say to me in the past that one of the keys to, to leadership um, or maybe even to finding your, the best in yourself is, is compassion and empathy. Mm-hmm. Right. And giving, giving is really good. You know, they talk about being in love. That's a big conversation you have in, in this world. I don't know if I love this person. Uh, I, I love them, but maybe I'm not in love. You know, that whole conversation. Right. I read something just a week ago or two weeks ago that being in love is when you can feel you're making a difference with another person and it's coming back at you. And so I would argue that being in love is the way to be in the world because you want to make a difference. I think most- It will come back to you naturally. Yes, and I think most people coming back to you, I mean, you can feel your success. You feel you've impacted somebody. And I don't think there's a greater feeling. I have a there is no greater feeling. That's 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 really what it's all about, right? That's, that's, that's it. I mean, I've had clients, obviously, they're not happy or something, but by and large, I I 
I get one, two texts a week. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. We never could do this. We never could do it from whether it's a leader, whether it's from, from Dubai, from London, from Florida, from New Jersey, from the Bronx of New York. And, and, and there's no greater feeling. I've been on board meetings where they've given me stock options and that's great, but there's nothing that compares to seeing the look on somebody's face that you make a difference. And, and when you're leading somebody in a business and you're helping them perform their job because you believed in them, they know it and they feel it and they'll do better for you next time. So that's, so if you're, if you're, if you're talking to somebody who's 25, 30, 35, who's um, not only are they kind of absorbing all the, the, the fearful things that we're all hearing, right. They're, um, trying to find their way, whether it's in a relationship or it's in their career. I think what you just said might be the, one of the best pieces of like gui guidance, right? advice you could really give them. Taking them forward like to find their way, to not get lost in ego, to not get lost in uh, trying to get, make as much money as they can. Like, I think what you just said really keeps it real. It's actually mm -hmm. funny that you should say that. Um, my little plug for a book I'm writing, it's called Pivot to Real. And it's all Wait, I'm writing the same book. You, I didn't say you could use that. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> I won't tell anybody. <laughs> but that's really, um, that. I think authenticity and real, while it's been around forever, it's gotten lost in the sauce. And we all have to go back to that. And not the cliche of saying, you know, my, I have to be my authentic self because you hear on Oprah and everybody, everybody's got to be their authentic self, right? But that's not what you're talking about. No. You're really talking about something actually more real. I'm talking about knowing who you are. Right. And, and how do you find that out? Uh, that's how you get an hourly sessions with me if you want my number. Uh, no, that's... Um... You took my joke. I was going to say you call Rick Ross. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, you know, we're, by the way, only special people, they, it's, it's interesting. While I have a very large practice, it's very small in population. It's, you know, if I see 50 people a week, that's nothing in the world, right? It's, there's so many people. To find 50 inspired people that want to help themselves, I'm not talking about crisis that, that we all, I get that all the time. I'm talking about, I have a lot of people that come to me simply because they want to grow and want to evolve. And they want to be stretched. And this is an emotional and mental workout for them. And I can come at it from 80 angles and they love it. It takes a special person. So if I was to advise anybody, I would tell you to do what I did. At 35 years old, I hired a guy. This is, I didn't think about this till just now. His name, I think he's probably gone now, is Henry Exty. He'd be 98, 99 years old. His name is Henry Eckstein. And he, he saw his parents get taken by the Nazis in, during the war. And he actually was outside one of the camps and he saw his mother, boom, get shot, go to the ground and die. 15 years later, he's in Israel on a kibbutz. And he runs into a woman who's his mother. It wasn't, it was the woman next to his mother. He was looking at a distance of a line of people. It was the woman next to, he didn't know his mother survived. Oh my God. I ended up, that's his basic story, okay? That's you a want, true story. True story. 
You want a reason to quit. You want an excuse that you don't do well. You want a reason to not go back to school. You want to re he did everything he could to survive and thrive. And with all that stuff that happened to him, imagine that life running through Europe, trying not to get caught by the Nazis, watching your parents get killed, finding out after the fact your mother didn't get killed. I hired him as a consultant. I needed him to tell me, and he was really, they, they wouldn't have called it a corporate therapist those years. Uh, there, there was too much of a stigma with the word therapist. And uh, today there's less so. Uh, I would hire it from 35 years old. Don't think you know everything because you don't. And if you know it, you only know one angle of it. You don't know the multiple facets of the truth that you're dealing with. I hired people that were so much older and more experienced than me to give me insight because the stuff I wanted to learn was not um, like, to, do I use a metal bat or a wooden bat? I wanted to learn the game of baseball. I wanted people to tell me about the game and the game hasn't changed. No. None of this has changed. There's a, a great guy who I love listening to, Simon Sinek. It's a, he, oh yeah, yeah. He does this thing on um, why. And I'll just leave it with this. I use that in keynotes. I play it and then talk about it. Like in an offsite meeting, I'll play that and then talk about it. And I always stop it when he gets to a certain point. And he has, he's from Newark, but he has this English, English accent. And he says- He's from Newark with that accent? I, that I, wouldn't, I did not know. And he says, what I've discovered, and I stop it. And I say, I want you to know he's not lying. He's just misinforming you. He's discovered it, but it's been discovered thousands of years ago over and over, over, yeah. and over and over and over again and and that's what i think it would do for people you ask me about 30 35 and 40 year olds there's too much pressure to know everything now get it right in 140 characters or less tweet it out make it we are not absorbing real talk to people who've been around the block they know so get get mentors expose yourself to people who have actually uh, had experience, has done things that, that are giving you advice or guidance because they know. Because they've, they've learned. They know because they've learned. They, they've, they've made the mistakes. They've experienced the... Uh, There's wisdom. Adversity. Wisdom. And I, the wisest thing and smartest thing I ever did was from the earliest age, I, I found myself, even when I was a little kid, I used to listen to the older people talking. Always. Always. And, and I still do it. I still do it. I'm just becoming, as time goes on, one of the older people. <laughs> I know that you have uh, you have something you have to get to, but I want to ask you, if, if, actually in closing, and I'm putting you on the spot, I know that, but if there were five tips or just pointers that we can, we can put out there, and I'll help you if you want, because I took notes while you were talking, so I have some tips you put out. Um, when it comes to just, when it comes to fears, pushing through, and, and just kind of find, finding your way through during these difficult times. I, I would say don't take yourself so seriously. I would say laugh at yourself. Everyone else is. I would say that I would say that there's a great quote from my mother. When I was 20, I thought no one liked me. When I was 40, I stopped caring what they thought about me. And when I was 60, I realized nobody was ever thinking about me. I think you should live with abandonment and just go with abandon. And I think you should be mission focused. I think you should be vision focused. Can I add one more that you said? You can add five more. Okay. I, I love what you, you were talking about realizing that you, you can control your thinking. We talked about that early on and you, you gave the example of, I think it was Viktor Frankl. 
Um, you can do that now. You can do that at any time if you just stop, pause, and just step back. And uh, you mentioned before, too, getting excited. Isn't it true that fear and excitement release the same chemicals? Oxytocin. But they, they cause you to feel something different because of the way you process it. But if you could choose to get excited versus choosing to have anxiety or fear, possible, right? I, I don't think you choose to have anxiety or fear. I think you choose to react to the anxiety and fear. The and that, at least that, that, that you can choose to do. Yes. I don't, yeah. you can't choose to not have anxiety. That, that You can choose to how you react to it. Right, right. I think it's all very helpful. There's a lot of people out there that are struggling and suffering and, um, and maybe they're not struggling or suffering to the, you know, that we can, you can see on the outside, but they might be on the inside. And, and I think that there's a lot of information you shared today that people can take something away from it to help them keep the momentum going, keep moving forward so that they can reach their goals and reach their potential, whatever that means to them. I, I couldn't agree more. Can I leave you with two things? You can stay all day. I heard a quote that I loved and it's in a lot of my presentations. And this gives you insight into what we do as a people. It says, I think it was John Cotter from Harvard. He said, when given the choice between changing one's ways or proving you don't have to, most people get started on the proving. And I think that gets in all our ways. Don't be afraid to change. It might be good for you. And then the last thing is something I actually have on my website. And I haven't changed my website in forever. And it says um, the two most important things for good therapy or a good life, really, is a well-developed, self-deprecating sense of humor and a rich desire for self-awareness. And I believe that. And if you stay with that stuff and you lead with love and you just don't let your fears get in the way and you have post-traumatic growth, Life can be good. On that note, thank you. Thank you. Hold on. This is a very important thing we have to do right now. If anybody wants to reach you because they want to talk to you more, what's your email address? Do you want to share that? I would prefer, yeah, that would work. Um, rross at rosscounseling.com. Okay. And I'll put it on the screen. You'll be able to see it. Is there any other information? I know you mentioned you're going to write a book, but is there anything else that you want to just point out? Anything you're working on or, or uh, any other ways to meet to find you, LinkedIn, anything like that? No, I'm good. Okay. I, I, th I think that that's fine. R. Ross at rosscounseling.com. And um, I would look forward to talking to anybody. But in the meantime, thank you for listening.